Welcome to a new Northview podcast. Uh, we're calling this Northview Reads, and we're hoping to have it as a podcast that helps you in your reading of the Bible um, throughout the year. Last year in 2023, we started a Northview Bible reading plan, and we're going into year two of that. So we thought we would add something new to the plan to make it exciting and fun and uh, hopefully give additional information on um, your Bible reading as you go through the texts. Uh, each week. So we're hoping to do a monthly podcast to recap what we have read and what we are going to be reading. Um, So look for these at the beginning of every month. uh, And we look forward to sharing kind of thoughts of our pastors and our different staff members on what we've been reading and what we will be reading. So my name's Crystal. Uh, It'll be either Jesse Wilson or myself, Crystal, hosting this podcast as we are the Discipleship Pastors of Northview. And then we're going to invite a bunch of different pastors to join in as they have time and availability to talk about the text that we're reading. Today I have with me Joshua. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, and Freddie. Hello. Hello. Uh, Thanks for coming with me on this journey. And uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell our listeners about yourself if they don't know you, Joshua. Sure. Uh, Yeah, so my name is Joshua Scott. I'm one of our campus pastors here at Northview over at our central Abbotsford site. And uh, I also help with a number of leadership development things. I'm over in our ministry apprenticeship program. Uh, I dance around to a bunch of different things, but in short, that's me. And my name is Freddie. I'm the pastor of young adults. So people 18 to 30 and whatever other random things they need someone to participate in. <laughs> As pastoring goes. Come on. Yes, we all have this part of our job description that says, and whatever else That's we right. are asked to do. So that is part of your job. And I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, just as we, before we get into this, what is your history with Bible reading plans? Is this something you do regularly, read through the Bible in a year? What would you guys say? What's been your practice? Yeah, my practice has changed a lot over the years, to be honest. There was uh, a time in Bible college, I had a professor say to me, hey, one of the best ways to read your Bible is to pick a short book and read it over and over and over again every day for a month. And then you know that book. And so I did that with the book of Titus in in college. And I loved that. And then I did it again with the book of Galatians. And so that that was a, a reading plan that I took. It wasn't certainly didn't take me through the whole Bible. I stuck myself in one spot. But that was helpful for me when I was in college. Um, but yeah, I've, I've tried chronological ones. Uh, I've done yearly get through the Bibles. I've, I've succeeded a couple of times and I've failed many more. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So yeah, all sorts of different ways, but chronological honestly is, is one of my favorites, um, that puts you through particularly the way we're going to do it, which is going to get us through the old Testament and new Testament at the same time. Um, it has been for me, one of the more fruitful ways of reading the Bible. Yeah. Freddie, what's your practice? Yeah, my, my experience very similar. I used uh, most, almost exclusively like devotional type things. Like mm-hmm. that was what I most consistently used for most of my life. I've been a Christian since I was five uh, and I was very sporadic. And then when I was an intern, I think that was the first time I started reading like just Bible, like not mediated through someone else, but just Bible. Uh, and then when I joined the Immerse program, so back in whatever, 2018, like then I had to read through the Bible chronologically, like as one of the assignments. And then that was the first year that I did the entire Bible in a calendar year. So I had read through the Bible before, but in like two or three years, right? Like it, it through a much longer process. So that was the first time, I think my first year or my second year of Immerse. And then from since then, I've done it every single year. And I usually use Robert Murray McShane's plan and it, it in various forms, but that has been the one that's been the most fruitful. Uh, and then particularly... There, there was a phrase that really stuck with me that uh, came from uh, Means of Grace, a book by David Mathis, mm. 
where he said that we should we should study for depth and we should read for breadth. Mm-hmm. And that was one of those things where like I had already done a chronological plan or and then a Bible in a year plan and then another Bible in a year plan. So I was like, I think it's time for something else. And then I read that line and I was like, ah, you know what? For a lifetime of faith, I, I should probably just read the Bible. So now I think this is my fourth one. I'm almost done my fourth one. I'll finish this month. And then it'll be my fifth one next year. And it, it'll be great. And I that's part of Christian life. Like I want to be deeply rooted. So I'm going to read the Bible. Very cool. Yeah. So I think that's a good expectation to have. It, when you do a Bible reading plan like this, you don't get the same necessarily depth that you do as reading Titus every day for a totally. month, right? You don't know the book so much or <clears throat> yeah, get so specifically into specific themes. It doesn't give as much time for that devotional thinking, but it does give you that breadth of like the whole counsel of God. Because we can often get stuck in our favorite passages or our favorite books or the New Testament, not the old. And this does give a good breadth to it. So we'll get into specifically what plan we're going to be doing, but we thought we'd first start with some scripture saying like, why do we even do Bible reading plans? What would be your, if someone asked you that, Joshua, which verse would you pick? Why would you say, what's the importance of doing a Bible reading plan or Mm. getting people in the Bible regularly? Yeah. So a couple, a couple come to mind right away. Um, One that I don't hear quoted all that often, but is, has been particularly impactful for me. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus is out being tempted by the, by the enemy in the wilderness. And uh, and at one point he says, look at these stones, turn them into bread. You're hungry. You haven't eaten in 40, 40 days. And Jesus says, listen, man doesn't live on bread alone, mm-hmm. but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Um, and so he's, he's saying that there is a kind of life that you cannot have unless you live off of this kind of bread. There is that physical bread. Yes, you need food to eat, but there is a spiritual bread. There is a, uh, 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 nourishment that can only be found through the living word of God. So you pair that up with 2 Timothy 3.16, right? All scripture is breathed out by God. Therefore, every word from Genesis to Revelation is that word of God by which man cannot live if they're not eating it. Right. So th- that would be one of the ones that I turn to. Yeah. One of my favorites. Yeah. How about you, Freddie? That, I mean, Second Timothy three, like that. That's probably the the best one. I think it's, Joshua took the white. Yeah, no, I <laughs> no, not, yeah. <laughs> the, the other one that just from reading Isaiah this month in the reading plan was there's a line in in Isaiah chapter eight where he says, you know, describing people who are going after idols. He says they they don't. In response to that, Israel needs to go to the law and to the testimony, and they, they do not see because they have no dawn. And so that the mm-hmm. image or the illustration is like people can only walk by light. And that light is God's word. And Psalm 19 uses the same image, right? Mm-hmm. That the law gives us light. Uh, so I, I think th- both of those are just colorful ways of saying what Second Timothy 3 said in a proposition. Like this is God's word and therefore it is useful and it will help you be equipped for a life of godliness. Yeah. And when we read through the Psalms, like you mentioned that idea of we can't live on bread alone, the idea in the Psalms so much, especially Psalm 1, is like those who meditate on the word of the Lord will be like these trees planted by streams of living water that, that yields fruit in season. And so this idea, and then in Jeremiah, doesn't specifically talk about the word, but kind of being in relationship with God gives us that longevity and that like mm-hmm. a life that we can't draw on of our own making in the midst of storms and deserts and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. It's what we actually need to sustain us, so... Yeah. And I think that's particularly key. You just mentioned being in relationship with God, that Bible reading sometimes for many of us Christians can feel like a, a Christian task. It's just mm-hmm. a duty. It's something we do where actually, if we understand it rightly as the living word of God, right. it's a way in which we engage in that relationship with him. 
right? He speaks to us through yeah. his word and yeah. it's alive by yeah. the, by the spirit's power. It's applied to us like a fresh conversation. Yeah. So there's, there's, it's more than just, we do this because the Bible says it's a good thing, but we do this because we're Christians, because we know the living God. Maybe. Yeah. And because it allows us to know him. I mean, right. that's the way he's revealed himself to right. us is through his word. And I think it also reorients our priorities every time we're in it because we realize again, like again, reading Isaiah the last few weeks, oh yeah, God is big. It doesn't matter what the Assyrian yeah. army does or yeah. the Edomites do or whatever. God yeah. is big and he's in charge. And so we, you come to the Bible reading plan with your own little problems of the day, which are actually often big problems, but it helps you put life in perspective yeah. as good. you read those things. So. So that's a general reason why. Uh, Deuteronomy 17, I just thought I'd read as one that's been helpful for me. It's it's not an instruction to all Christians, but it's an instructions for the kings of Israel. And I think it's helpful because it talks about a lot of these different things. It says, when the king sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book, a copy of this law appoint, approved by the Levitical priests. So basically the king was supposed to write out the whole books of Moses, right? To have by his bedside to read every night. It shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord, his God, by keeping all the words of the law and these statutes. There's nowhere else that we're going to learn to fear the word, the Lord, our God, right? And so that was the job or the role of the Bible for these kings was that they would fear him. Um, and by doing so that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers. So reading the word of God gives us a sense of humility, knowing we're not better than anybody else. All of us are um, kind of one before the throne of God that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right or to the left so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. So I think if that scripture, if scripture was to do that for the king, I think why not like for all of us, like right. that's pretty applicable, right? So that we would know our station in life so that we yeah. would fear him, that we would keep his commandments, we would know him. Um, so I find that a really helpful kind of yeah. overall text. It's good. Um, so that's kind of why a Bible reading plan, but why specifically a chronological plan? You mentioned... Joshua, that you like chronological plans. What is, first describe what is a chronological plan? Yeah, so a, a chronological plan is, uh, well, sometimes it's used in two different ways. There's a chronological plan that takes you chronologically through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, just straight up as we have it in the Bible. That's usually not what's meant by chronological. Sometimes chronological is, is in reference to the actual time in history when we as at best guessed in some cases, but in other mm -hmm. cases, confidently know when a book was written. So you think of chrono in the word, it's time. So chronological is the, is the logical sequence of time in the writing of the scriptures. So starting in Genesis, obviously, which being the very first book, and you'll still end in Revelation, but in the middle, the Bibles that we have given to us are sometimes organized in, in uh, thematic ways or categorical senses rather than chronological right. senses. So when you look at your table of contents, the first five books are like, you know, the books of Moses, which are more chronological. But then after that, you get into um, some history books, but later the prophets at the end of the Old Testament are actually speaking during the times of the history books. And so if you read them separately, you don't actually hear the prophetic message into the situation that they were speaking. Whereas if you read mm -hmm. it chronologically, you see what Israel was doing and then you hear Haggai speak about it or right. yeah. Isaiah yeah. speak about it. And you say, oh, I understand why Isaiah is saying this because of what we read in the history books. Yeah. So it brings the history and the prophecy together. Yeah. yeah. Any other thoughts you'd want to add on that? Ready? No, it's just, it's just a helpful way. Like that's when we talk about Old Testament, New Testament, right? For us, 
a, a chronological plan can be frustrating because you spend two thirds of the year or, th- or three quarters of the year, honestly, before you get to the New Testament. Yeah. Uh, but the the Bible that the kings would have read from Deuteronomy 17 or the Bible that Jesus read or the apostles read like was Old Testament. So yeah. if we don't do a chronological plan, like you honestly might never read most of the Old Testament. Mm. You read through the Pentateuch, right? Like the, the books of Moses. A few lines from Isaiah at Christmas, maybe mm-hmm. a text or two from the minor prophets, like for social justice causes. But I'm like, but you don't actually need anything really. You just jump in Matthew and you circle through the gospels and then letters and then revelation when you want to fight with your family. Right. So I'm like, <laughs> it, it, what the plan does is it, it grounds you in a big story uh, that has been in, in time. Right. And Isaiah writes about that in, as again, as we're reading that mm-hmm. God is active in human history. He was active in writing uh, this book through human authors. So like we want to join in that by reading in the same way that all of our forefathers of the faith would have read mm-hmm. for all of human history. Mm-hmm. And I think what you you're making the comment about, uh, you know, the minor prophets and major prophets being organized in a way that we, we don't connect them to the story that they're in. And I think mm-hmm. that's particularly important or helpful in a chronological uh, reading plan is that we come to the major prophets and we know they're so full and rich and confusing. Same <laughs> with the minor prophets. Like I just don't, but, but we don't see them as connected at all to the story of Israel. We, yeah, we get there talking about Israel. They get there talking about, but where in the world are they in the timeline? Um, is something that for most Christians is, is so confusing. It, I actually don't know if they are connected sometimes, Yeah, but they are deeply. They're, they're a part of the very story we read about Israel all the way up until the 400 years of silence before John the Baptist comes onto the scene, they're they're in that story. They're not apart from it. They're not their own weird, wacky stories. They're in that one story. And they're saying things that made sense in the time that they right. were speaking to. Like they're calling out specific sins or calling yeah. out specific things Israel was doing. And if you don't understand that, yeah, yeah. it feels disconnected, yeah. right? That's, that's actually, yeah. that's really good too. We, we, we um, often talk about the importance of context when we preach the Bible, when we teach classes, right? Don't read a verse out of context. And in some real sense, when we read the prophets without reading them within the context of the story of Israel, we do an injustice to the text. We're, we're not properly understanding the world to which they're speaking. Right. And so we've, we're taking verses, we're taking a book right out of its storyline context often. Yeah. And oftentimes, I mean, this is a little bit of a jump from that, but I think sometimes because of that, we've seen prophecy as this weird, wonderful, fanciful thing Mm -hmm. and prophets as being weird people. (laughs) But when we actually look at their actual, the situation that they're talking to, we're saying, oh, well, they're basically just preaching the law to these people. They're preaching the Old Testament and they're just contextualizing it. They're not making up some different message that God had, you know, sometimes we think of prophets as just kind of channeling some weird message from God, but they're actually, they're taking what they know and saying, Mm -hmm. people, you're not following what God's Mm -hmm. told you to do. And they're just applying that. So it makes even the prophets seem more normal and real, like a pastor would preach to their congregation, right? And say, people, you're not doing this right. Well, and and you would never interact with their work. Like I, I don't know anyone who's preaching through all 66 books of Isaiah. Like, <laughs> like that's not going to happen in a, like in a weekend service, right? Maybe you study it in a Bible study, but even then, like it, it's kind of a challenging endeavor because that you know we have prophecy after prophecy, and there's so much symmetry between them. But then there's uni- like text units within it. So reading, just reading the Bible, mm-hmm. g- and gets you 
in touch with all of these words, right? That so many of them inform the gospels or the letters in the new Testament because they're pulling lines, they're pulling quotes. Like sometimes they're just borrowing illustrations, right? But all of that is you only ever really notice if someone preaches it to you mm. or if you've just been in the, in the word a lot. Right. right? And like one of my favorite things is seeing people who have no formal training, but they just been reading the Bible for 40 years because they've just been a Christian for a long time. And they know it pretty well. And I'm like, that's, you know what? That's true. You don't need to go to seminary. Like God, God intended to be known and we can know him accurately just by reading every day. And it takes 15 minutes, right? And in 15 minutes, you can get through the Bible in a year and you multiply that by, you know, if you do this every year or every couple of years, like you will get a lot of Bible. You'll get a lot of the word of God Mm. into your heart and mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For things like the Psalms too, in terms of chronological, oftentimes they'll pair then. Mm like David's sin with then his Psalms of repentance or yeah. David hiding from Absalom right. with the Psalm of him hiding from Absalom, <laughs> which when you read the Psalms all as 150, you don't actually think about, oh, this is the story and this is how he's praying in response to that story. So it brings those pieces together. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it, you start to see how uh, similar to what you were making, the comment you were making there, Crystal, about them preaching the Pentateuch, preaching the Old Testament law, the books of Moses. Um, it, one of my favorite classes in, in Bible college was in Old Testament literature and he took us through Deuteronomy 28, 29, mm-hmm. which are the blessings and the curses, right. right? If you do this, you'll be blessed. You do this, you'll be cursed. And then we walked through the minor prophets and the major prophets. And he just showed us at every turn, that's literally all they're doing is saying, yeah. blessed are you if you do this. Yeah. God had already said that. <laughs> yeah. like, they're not saying anything new. No. They're right. simply now going to expand on that and say, here's a particular way in which you will be cursed. It's going to be the Babylonians. It's going to be the whatever. But the, the, the root of it all was in the law. So it, they're not, it's nothing new. No. Um, and and you, don't, you don't catch that unless you've worked your way through those books of, of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, unless you've worked through those to then build up to the story of Israel's uh, falling and rising, right? You, you miss all that. Yeah. So. And I think historically, just thinking about the story of Israel even, most people, like you said, know Genesis, they know Moses, um, they know Joseph in the Technicolor dream code, <laughs> you know, yes. they know Come something on. about the judges. They kind yeah. of heard, maybe heard Ruth, maybe as like a romance story about the women in the Bible. They know a little bit about King David and then that's about it. Right. Like basically after King David, most people, yeah. unless you've seriously studied the Bible, they don't really understand that period between David and Christ, which was about a thousand years. They, they'll know Solomon and his wives and all those things. Like, so there'll be some stories, but you know. Yeah. Or so. if they have a name from the Bible, they might know. Some, like my son is named Isaiah. So right. yeah, yeah. yeah, we tell him, you were named after a prophet. And he knows, that's all he knows. So <laughs> I'm a prophet, dad. Like, not, not quite, but you were named after a prophet. So good. So this is what we landed on. It was kind of what I was hoping we would land on. And, but what I did is then sent a survey out to a bunch of people. And obviously we don't know who's all doing the plan. We didn't get people to sign up to do it, but we sent it to just as many different groups of people, community group leaders, Bible study people um, that we could think of. And we got 128 results back from it, which was helpful. And about 70% of those people asked for a chronological plan. So thanks for also giving us survey results and kind of, you know, telling us what you're behind in terms of what we do. So we mentioned that the downside of the traditional plan is that the Old Testament is really long and you don't necessarily get into the New Testament until September or October, somewhere in there. But so what we decided to do, as has been kind of mentioned, is have like a dual. We found a plan that basically you start Genesis 1 and Matthew 1, and then you work through Genesis to um, Malachi. 
Micah? Malachi. Malachi. What's the last one? One of the M's? And the last book, Malachi. (laughs) If you know the song, if you know the song, come on. And then Matthew to Revelation, um, all chronologically. Um, In the New Testament, it's fun to read through the book of Acts. And then when like Paul is, you know, talking about his time in Ephesus, then we read the book of Ephesians and we see, oh, these are the people that were converted um, when he was in Ephesus and those kind of things. So it'll be good. Um, what do you want to tell us about how it will work? Last year we had it on the Uversion app. This isn't available on that Uversion app. It's not one of the plans that are available. So yep. um, anything you wanted to say about logistics, Freddie? Yeah, so we we recognize that not everyone likes apps. Like that was one of the big things. There, there was absolutely a, a demographic that <laughs> gravitated towards that. So obviously I'm uh, in my role, I work mostly with young adults. So my demographic, like the people I minister to, they love the app. Like that's what they used, right? Like that's probably what they already had. Like no one downloaded version as a first time user, right? It was more people kind of 40 plus that, that were doing that. And a lot of people just preferred paper, right? Like it just gives them something more physical. They like marking the little check once they're done. On, it right? becomes they, a bookmark in your yeah, Bible. Totally. Mm-hmm. Or, or they put it inside their journal because they like to write a prayer or write a thought after they're, they're done. So we, we wanted to kind of merge both of those. So we're, we're going to still use the paper handout. People seem to really enjoy that. But we do think it is still valuable to have an opportunity to uh, read along other people. Like that, that's just a value for us as, as MBs, I guess, and as Christians yeah. more broadly, uh, that we want to read the Bible with other people. Like we think the Spirit is in all of us. Spirit will guide us uh, to truth. So we are, have put together this WhatsApp group so that everyone can be on the same one. Uh, the benefit for... So the downside is it's not you version. Mm-hmm. Like you're just going to be reading on your own Bible or in your own app. But the plus is that through WhatsApp, we can all be together. Uh, like no one knew this because th- no, no one hosted groups except for like a, a handful of us here on, on staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I ended up hosting like three or four different groups at the <laughs> same time because Uversion will only allow 100, uh, 150 people on each group, whereas WhatsApp allows 1,000. And last year we had just over 300 people kind of like at our peak online, which is at just at Downs Road. And then, uh, you know, smattering at East Abbey, some at Central. So like there are people that would absolutely love to be part of the same group. And how, how cool, how cool that you would get to read with other people, not just from your campus, but from all of Northview. And, you know, our we have, we have more details to work out still, but there will be an app where people can read, uh, or there will be an app through WhatsApp where people can post questions, thoughts, comments, those kinds of things, and then just regular paper, and you can shove it in your Bible, shove it in your journal, and hear from the Lord every single day. Yeah, I was part of the online version this last time. Freddie always gave me heck for not posting enough. To I did, my own I did. Comments. Come on. Well, you have <laughs> such good things to say, so I just wanted more. <laughs> but I really appreciated listening to so many people and their interactions and. Yep. A lot of the young adults posted really insightful things and you could tell their heart was being touched. And that in itself was an encouragement, mm-hmm. I think, to me. And I know a number of people said that encouraged them to keep going, to know that they weren't doing it this by themselves, that they had other people kind of in it with them. Yeah. Well, and then honestly, reading, you know, four or five other comments, you're like, it almost feels like you read the same passage four or five different times because you're like, well, that wasn't what I saw, but mm-hmm. I, now they're, they're, they're making another point. And I'm like, yeah, that was in the text. Like, I... And because God's word is rich and you read this, you read the whole Bible, your whole life, and you're still learning things until the day you die. So seeing other Christians like that just expedites that process where I, I would, you know, highlight 
five different things in my text and I'm like, I think I've got all the main points. And then I'd see some random young adult or a random congregant and then they would just, they would post another thought and I was like, that's so insightful. That, that blessed me too. That was edifying. It was encouraging. It was convicting. It was challenging. So both the positive and negative of like needing encouragement and needing conviction as part of Christian life. Great. So hopefully you are sold. Hopefully you join us um, either on with just grabbing a paper copy on the weekend or uh, joining the WhatsApp group. Um, we thought generally what we'll be doing in these podcasts is talking about the content that we'll be reading. And so we thought we'd spend the last few minutes just talking a little bit through um, the first month of this plan. So it'll be Genesis 1 to 35. In the middle of that, Job appears, Job 1 to 42. Come on. And then we start at Matthew 1 to 20, which is really cool because our women's and men's Bible study is going to be in Matthew 2. There's Matthew as well. Um, they're starting in Matthew 21. So by the end of January, you'll be caught up to that where they all are. Um, what do you want to say about Genesis 1 to 35? Anything you think people should know as they engage with these texts? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a reason it's at the beginning. Um, almost every theme through all of scripture can be traced back to Genesis, right? Um, so, you know, there's so many things that we could point out for you to keep your eye on. Uh, you know, one of the benefits of a chronological uh, Bible reading plan is that you're going to get the story. So try and do your best to keep the story in mind. Who are this people of God? We're going to come to Abraham or Abram in the beginning, and then he changed mm -hmm. his name is changed to Abraham. Yeah. And then you have Isaac and Jacob, and then the the twelve tribes, and Joseph's not one of them, right? Take note of those little interesting things. It's his two sons that become half tribes. So there's kind of thirteen tribes, but there's twelve. Um, so just take notice of that story, trace it, follow it, so that when we get to the later books of the of the history of Israel and the Kings and Chronicles, when there's tribes being named, you can kind of go back and make sense of where this all connected through. Um, but one of the other more important principles that we've, we always talk about here at Northview is that we read the Bible with a, a Christ-centered approach because Jesus taught that way, right? In Luke 24, 21, 24, 24. 24. Uh, he's on the road to Emmaus with a couple of disciples. He's resurrected from the grave. They don't know it's him. And they're at, he asks them, what are you guys talking about? Well, how do you not know? There's this Jesus guy, he died. And so then Jesus responds to show them through all the scriptures, why the things that took place that day when Jesus died on the cross had to have happened. Mm -hmm. So Jesus is implicitly saying everything in the Old Testament, everything you've read was pointing to that moment and to my resurrection, to the future of what I was accomplishing, right? So even in Genesis chapter three and the fall of humanity, right? Yeah. Adam and Eve, they take the fruit of the tree they shouldn't eat and they are cursed, rightly so. God had given them very clear instructions and they broke it. Um, and yet God cannot help himself in that very moment to show himself gracious by promising that the, the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head and the serpent would bite his heel. And who's that seed? What's well, Jesus? <laughs> the one who would crush the serpent on the cross and who will finally crush the serpent, as the book of Revelation tells us, uh, by sending him into a pit of eternal damnation. Um, that was Jesus. That's that seed. So in Genesis yeah. chapter 3, he's already there. Um, in the same chapter, Jesus, or sorry, the, the Lord takes uh, the skins of an animal and covers the yeah. Adam and Eve, mm -hmm. right? And you wonder, well, why, what's, the, what's that all about? Well, because future, years down the road, another sacrifice would take place. Yeah, and just where That's right. Just where yeah. Adam and Eve were covered with the skins of that animal, 
the people who would believe in this sacrifice, Jesus, would be covered by his righteous robes. He became sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of, right? So in Genesis 3, it's loaded with gospel. It's loaded with, with pointing to Jesus. So, and that's not the only chapter. Like, keep, keep your eyes open for the Christ of, of these passages, of the stories that are pointing you to the, the ultimate accomplishment that Jesus uh, does on the cross and in his resurrection. Yeah, ideas of sin and how sin is atoned for, how yeah. sin is yeah. managed, yeah. what we need to know the about seriousness God, of the seriousness sin, yeah. of sin, yeah, and the grace of God. Like some people say the Old Testament God is all angry and whatever, but man, there's so yeah. much grace, so much grace in the there's Old Testament. There's a lot of second chances, right? There yeah. is a lot. So like, yeah. that's kind of what I, like, I encourage people to, like, obviously, if, if you've read the Bible before, then some of these gospel connections become a little bit more evident. But for someone that maybe has never done something like this before, and they're just like, dog, I would, I would never see that, like, just off the cuff. Um, just follow the characters. like, mm-hmm. And that's that's what drives a narrative, right? And the first character you meet in Genesis 1 is God, and then you meet a whole bunch of, then you meet some humans, our first parents, and then you meet a whole bunch of different people. And I, one of the great humbling things in scripture is like to see brokenness in every single human character uh, and then see a little bit of that in myself. So the story is compelling. The story drives itself. It is like, like Josh said, it's, it's moving forward to a fulfillment or a culmination in, in the work of Christ. Uh, but in the meantime, you get to meet a whole bunch of people that are flawed and broken and God uses them. And even if you're not seeing every connection, I think any Christian can just read the Bible and be reminded like, yeah, you know what? God is working when dumb people do dumb things. And that gives me hope for today because sometimes I'm a dumb person who does dumb things or maybe more charitably. Sometimes I'm silly and do (laughs) silly things, you know, to keep it more PG. Yeah. I think if you go through the Old Testament, just like, what does this passage teach me about God? What does it teach me about people? What does it teach me about sin and my need for a savior? Like those three things will help you see those kind of gospel connections Mm. or why we need a savior, right? So it's super helpful. And then like Joshua was mentioning the the promises to Abraham, Genesis 12, 15, and 17, like those promises are re- referred to all throughout the whole rest of the Old Testament and the New. Mm. Like Paul in 1 Corinthians talks about all these promises are yes in Jesus, or 2 Corinthians. So th- those promises are key. So if you kind of figure out those promises and keep those in mind as you read, that's going to be helpful. Mm-hmm. Why is Job in the middle of Genesis in a Come chronological on. plan? Yes, Tell me, Josh, give me go answer. off, no, King. You, you answer that you one, You want me Freddy? to take this one? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, so the reason is that there is some reasonable uncertainty as to when the story of Job takes place to begin with, and then secondly, when the book of Job was written. So there's just no no measure of, of certainty about where to put it in a chronological plan. Some put it at the very beginning, even before Genesis, because th- there's a reasonable argument to be made that it's maybe the earliest book that's written. Yeah. Um, but but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the first, certainly Genesis, the events of Genesis 1 to 3 happen before that story. So, yeah. mm-hmm. right. So, so it, there must be some sense at the very least that Genesis happens first up to a certain point, And then from yeah. there on, it's, it's a bit of a guess as to where Job <laughs> happens. So the reason is it, it's got to go somewhere. And yeah. we know that it's, it's after the, the first events of Genesis, the creation in the fall, um, and it's probably before the events of Exodus. Right, because yeah. there's no sense of like a a, vill- a, a people of God right. or like a sacrificial yeah. system. Exactly, exactly. It's like Job is kind of on his own as a patriarch, yeah. atoning yeah. for his family, sacrificing, right? Yeah. There's no system set up. Yeah. 
Yeah. So th- there's a line, I think it's in Genesis 5, like that people begin calling on the name of God, mm-hmm. like post Enoch, right? And that's before Noah, that's before Abraham. So there is some form of worship mm-hmm. of God, but not Yahweh. Like we haven't met Yahweh yet. So there is, I guess we met him in Genesis 1, but we didn't know that was his name. Right. So that it, it makes sense to put Job in there because even the the details of it, right? Like Job's big question is he, he doesn't, he doesn't know the character of God. Like he doesn't doubt his power. He doubts his goodness. And he's like, my life sucks. So maybe this God wasn't that great. Maybe I shouldn't have been sacrificing all these animals. He didn't hold up his end of the bargain. So the, it's, it deals with the question of theodicy, right? Of, of suffering and, and how we understand that in our world. So it maybe it's not the most like thematically joyful thing to start the year with, <laughs> but but it's necessary and, and it's foundational for a Christian life. You need a theology of suffering. So Job is helpful in that way. Uh, and, the, and it fits, right? It helps you. It's just another character wanting to know God, wanting to understand him. And he, he's no different than Abram, no different than Noah before him, uh, no different even than Adam and Eve. Like they, they obviously didn't have a full understanding of God or the rest of the story wouldn't have happened. So it, all of the characters are wanting to know God. That's what's driving the narrative that God is the main character. And then we get to learn with them. And that that's the joy of reading these old stories. They're very, very old. Uh, and even if we don't know exactly where they come from, they're still edifying to us because they reveal uh, the God who is there and the God who wants to make himself known. Yeah, that's great. Anything we need to know reading Matthew? Matthew 1 to 20. Well, I mean, Matthew Matthew 1 is going to start with a genealogy, right? right? Um, again, not the, the place we want to start our Bible reading, <laughs> but because we're doing this chronologically, we're setting you up. It's setting you up with a mm-hmm. great opportunity. Take note of those names. Those aren't, those aren't accidental names. They're not random names. Some of them you may not find in the Old Testament, but most of them you will. Uh, take note of that so that when you're reading through Genesis, you can see, ah, okay, there is a line, a tracing of God's providential plan. And some of these characters are not shiny characters. In fact, most of them aren't. Yeah. Um, Judah is going to have a very sad ending to his mm. story. And yet yeah. Jesus is declared the lion of Judah, right? Wow. How can he get such a great rep for such a terrible ending in the story of God? Well, that's just the kind of God we have. He's a redemptive. So anyway, so take, take particular note of that first chapter. Don't breeze by it um, just because you don't want to read it. Yeah. Anything else? Want to say about Matthew? Yeah, I I love that Matthew quotes the most Old Testament. So that that's another. It's not like we're trying to set people up, but it ends up being pretty convenient that Mm -hmm. the first book we open with, uh, like cites and quotes Old Testament everywhere, prophets, Pentateuch, everything, historical books. So it it is a reminder again, like we're starting the year with Matthew and with Genesis, but Matthew started with an entire Old Testament before he even wrote. So we, we're jumping in on that together. And uh, and, it, and it hopefully will provide some form of, of motivation to, to keep reading throughout the entirety of the year. Because you're like, you know what? I don't, I don't know all these names. I, you know, I don't know this. Apparently, it's a quote because my Bible indents it and there's a little footnote. But I have no idea where it comes from. I, mm-hmm. I might never have read that book. Like, that's fine. Matthew mm-hmm. had. Matthew's teaching us something from it. And you know what? You're going to get to read it this year. So it's something to look forward to. Like there's a reason he, he used it. There's, they're appealing to an authority. God's word has already spoken. So Jesus wasn't a new thing. It was, it was the plan the whole time. So gospels are great. Old Testament's great too. Right. Yeah. And Matthew starts his genealogy with Abraham. So again, showing the importance of Abraham in Genesis. 
and is writing his gospel. He doesn't say explicitly in his gospel why he's writing it, but it seems like to convince the Jewish people that these Old Testament scriptures were fulfilled in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so if you keep that in mind, because um, that's what he's doing. He's, he's using Jewish language, talking about Jewish things using the Jewish scriptures, mm. right, to convince people, whereas Luke was writing more to a Gentile yeah. audience. So yeah. I think that's helpful to keep yeah. in mind, too. He's writing to these people um, that are descended from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, yeah. and the whole the whole clan. And, and particularly important about any of the Gospels is somehow we are so easy to forget that the Jesus who is walking the dust of the earth is claiming to be, and we believe... Mm-hmm is the living God, Yeah. right? This yeah. is God, man, God on, in, with human flesh. He's yeah. taken on human nature. So yeah. the Jesus you read about in Matthew is the God you read about in right. Genesis, Right. the so, God you read yeah. about in Exodus. So, so the very promise-making, promise-keeping God of the Old Testament yeah. is now walking the dust of the earth, yeah. compassionately healing, rebuking the Pharisees, all the while going to his own death. Yeah for the salvation of humanity. So just, it's so easy sometimes to forget that this is, this is the, the, the shock of the story. Right. This Jesus is God, yeah. right? And, and he'll, he makes his claims and he certainly backs it up with enough evidence yeah. uh, to, to, to prove it. So. So in the beginning, God, and then in the middle, God, <laughs> right? like that, the right. story's still unfolding. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you guys for joining me today. Hopefully that whets your appetite as you're listening to this, to uh, what this podcast will be about and gets you started as we start 2024, reading the Bible chronologically. Uh, All the best to you as you start up.